This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello, my name is Dr. Bradford Bow, and I'm a co-deputy director of the Research Institute of Irish and Scottish Studies, which is sponsoring this series of podcasts entitled 525 Years in the Pursuit of Truth, a new history of the University of Aberdeen. In this episode, my colleague Professor Bill Nafee who holds a chair in history at Aberdeen University, will examine student mobility in the global and institutional history of Marshall College from its founding in 1593 through to the Union of 1860. Hello. I'd like to spend a few minutes talking to you about Marshall College. First of all, why it's set up in Aberdeen But to move quickly beyond that, to talk about its international role, and in particular, the the international and globalized element of its student population, which I think will be incredibly surprising to most people to think about Marshall College as having this particular role and impact. So what you have here is an image of Marshall College as it existed more or less from its foundation until 1830. Um, when it was substantially altered and replaced. So why did the city government establish a college? I mean, after all, King's College was just down the road, though obviously just down the road then didn't mean a few minutes on a bus or even on foot. It was a much longer walk and there was a large lock in between. So the merchants and burgesses wanted a training area beyond the grammar school for their children. And of course, bearing in mind that Aberdeen had had a grammar school for a very long time, it's understandable that this was just simply building on that. And what they're doing, in fact, is plugging in to ideas that have already come out of the Renaissance about civic education. And what you find across Europe, you see it in Italy, in um, Southern France, in Switzerland, in the Low Countries, along the Rhine, Areas where cities, particularly city-states, where cities have strong local governments and strong local interests, they very much have an emphasis on the education of their own children, whether this is through primary education or through grammar schools, and very often through then tertiary education, as we would think of at colleges and universities. They're also very well of Scottish student mobility. So if you're child in Aberdeen and your son is what we mean in this in this period, goes to university in Scotland, the chances are if they're going to go for anything beyond that first degree, they're going to go somewhere else. So one of the things this, the Burgesses want to do is to keep their sons at home for that first degree. And then by going abroad either as part of a career or as part of further education to plug into the key international trading links that Aberdeen has already established and wants to establish. So effectively what they're doing is they're preparing their children for careers and for making their way in the world. Now, there is a view that has often been expressed that in actual fact, 
Marshall is established as a Presbyterian alternative to King's, which is viewed as being too Episcopal and even perhaps too crypto-Catholic. Now, I think this is problematic, and it's problematic because of three people, uh, Blackburn, Forbes, and Dunn, that I'll discuss in just a moment. And you'll see why this explanation, Presbyterian versus Episcopal, becomes extremely difficult when you consider these three men. And that's because they represent the sharing of staff between the two institutions. And if there was this serious religious divide between them, it would be unlikely that the staff would be shared, and particularly these three men. So the first, Bishop Peter Blackburn. Now, in 1598, so almost within a few years of Marshall College being established, Peter Blackburn is made the rector. And two years later, he moves to King's as chancellor at the same time as he's appointed one of the first bishops in Scotland since 1585. It's hard to think that this man, in his role in Marshall College, is some advocate for Presbyterianism, but two years later, he becomes one of James's first bishops since the Reformation. When we look at Patrick Dunn, we also see him moving around 1610. He's teaching at Marshall. By 1619, he's still at Marshall, but he's also holding a post as mediciner, so a professor of medicine at King's. And two years later, he's back at Marshall as principal. In fact, he's at Marshall almost for a decade or more, but he also has this post at King's. Again, this suggests that these two institutions are not somehow being set against one another, but that there's a different reason to have this college in the city. And I think it's because it's in the city and therefore under the control of the city government for their own children. And you really see this when you look at someone like Bishop William Forbes. So he's starting out 1592 at King's. Makes sense if, if it's seen as being an Episcopal foundation. But by 1601, he's at Marshall. Then he's back at King's. And in 1620, he's actually the principal of Marshall College. And in 1634, he's made Bishop of Edinburgh by Charles I. And Charles I actually creates the bishopric of Edinburgh for William Forbes. Now, it's hard to look, particularly at the careers of Blackburn and Forbes, these two prominent bishops who are also heavily involved at Marshall College and argue that Marshall College is in some way a Presbyterian and anti-Episcopal foundation. So I think we really have to think of Marshall College as a civic foundation for the education of the children the merchant, of the merchant elite of Aberdeen. Now, when we look at international prestige, I think this is where you do see again this idea that Marshall is really much more of a town institution, whereas King's is the more prestigious. Now, what do we mean by higher degrees? Well, in this period, that doesn't mean that you're actually studying. What it tends to mean is something between an earned degree and an honorary degree. So if you do your first degree and you go out into the world and you become a lawyer or a doctor or a theologian and you become famous and you publish in this sphere, then people can nominate you to a university to be awarded a higher degree based on 
in effect, your career. So that's what I mean by higher degrees. Now, if you look at King's, the higher degrees that are being awarded to people who are coming from outside the UK. And what you see is, is really th there's just a smattering until 1750. And then you see a fair number. And many of these are actually from the Americas. And then in the early 19th century to the amalgamation of the two colleges into the University of Aberdeen, you also see a fair number. Not substantial, but good numbers. Now, if you look at Marshall, you see a very different picture. Marshall doesn't actually award anyone a higher degree who comes from outside the UK until the 1730s. Even in the 1750s, they're barely matching what King's is doing at the same time. And it's not till the 19th century that they pull ahead of King's, but only very, very slightly. And I think what this suggests, again, is that Marshall continues to have this feel of being a town college for the children of the town's elite, whereas King's has this much more prestigious feel and image and reputation. And therefore, if you're going to nominate someone who's had a wonderful career in theology, medicine, or law, and you want to nominate them for a higher degree at an Aberdeen institution, your inclination is to nominate them to King's rather than Marshall. You see a similar sort of thing when it comes to students coming to Aberdeen for their MA studies. In other words, for their first degree, if you will, the more workaday degree as opposed to doing some sort of a higher study. Now, in King's, what you see is actually almost no foreign students come to King's to study from 1600, which is more or less when, the, when our records of matriculants graduates begin until the amalgamation in 1860. Literally a handful, one or two at a time. When you look at Marshall College, you see a very similar picture up until 1750, but then it becomes very, very different. From 1750 until 1799, Marshall College attracts 42 foreign-born students, and most of those are coming from the Caribbean. From 1800 to the amalgamation of the two colleges, 189 students, some still coming from the Caribbean, but increasingly from um, India and, and the general subcontinent region. You'll notice that no one comes in 1700 to 1749 to either. I think this is a comment on how turbulent Scotland was in the period of Union, the 1715 and the 45 Risings. It's not a place where anyone is sending people from abroad. Now I want to look at mobility of the students as well. If you think that King's is by far the more prestigious one, then it's likely to have people going to it from the rural elite, the gentry, who don't really have a reason to go abroad. And let's remember in this period, if you're going abroad, it's almost certainly because that's where you can make a real advance in a career because you, you go abroad because you need to. And if you're coming from abroad, it's almost certainly because you have ties with the place you're coming to. In other words, your father is from there, almost certainly. And you see a very similar sort of pattern. So kings throughout the period from 1600 onwards, about 78 
uh, honorary degrees are given to people that are either from abroad or spend some of their career abroad. And 126 doing their MA degree either come from abroad, and as we saw, that was actually very few, or they go somewhere to make their living out in the world. This is what you would expect from kings, not a lot. If you look at Marshall, the town institution, educating the town's children of the elite to go out into the world and make a living, you see something entirely different. The honorary degrees, almost the same as kings, very, very similar. But if you look at the MA degree, an enormous number of graduates of Marshall College or matriculants at Marshall College are leaving Aberdeen and leaving Scotland. And if you're going to be from abroad and come for your first degree, you're more likely to study at Marshall College. And I throw in Aberdeen from the period, um, from the amalgamation to just after the First World War, to give you an idea. So what really stands out is Marshall College. So obviously, it's a much longer period of time. But one tends to think of maybe the late 19th century as a period of greater mobility. And yet, if you look at Marshall College, you see that there's considerable mobility there in the two and a half centuries before the amalgamation. You also see a real difference in the professions, and the professions again suggest that Marshall College is training people in professions where they are going to go somewhere because they want to make a living. So Kings, you see clergy, by far the, the, the profession, if you're going to be from Kings and have an international experience in your life, whether you're from abroad or you go abroad to, for your, the rest of your career, Mostly what Kings is sending out are clergy. Marshall College, it's an entirely different picture. First of all, the numbers are much greater, but you see that the real big number is people trained in medicine. So if you come to Aberdeen and you want a career that's going to pay, or if you're from Aberdeen and you want a career that's going to pay out in the world, then it's more likely to be medicine. A clergy is obviously second, that's not surprising, but you really see these professions that are next, military, mercantile, civil service. These are careers that an Aberdeen merchant, an Aberdeen elite citizen, a Burgess, would want their kid, their son, to go into. And this is what you see. This many students leaving Aberdeen to go abroad in these particular professions. And again, it suggests that Marshall College is not only, if you're trading in more workaday careers where you can make a good living, but is also much more plugged in to the expanding world of the British Empire. So where are these students going? Where are the links that, that Every, that whether it's Kings, whether it's Marshall, or whether it's later Aberdeen actually have. And this, I think, is really important because, again, I think it's somewhat unexpected. So the vast majority of the students who have some sort of an international link, whether they're from abroad or this is where they spend part or all of their career, is with, as you can see, India. Um, and in fact, while you might expect China to be high on the list, in actual fact, Sri Lanka is even more important destination than China. 
North America, not surprising, but the fact that Canada predominates, again, is an interesting insight into where Scots are going. This, I think, will surprise most people. The Caribbean is a major destination and a major international link for Aberdeen, whether it's for students coming from the Caribbean or going to the Caribbean, and in particular, Jamaica. And what this suggests is that while we might look at places like Glasgow and Bristol and Liverpool and think about their involvement in, in slavery in the Caribbean, we have to be aware that it is definitely the case that Aberdeen is very plugged into that world as well. Scores and scores of Aberdeen elite's children are making their careers in the Caribbean and in particularly in the sugar plantations of Jamaica. A fair number are heading off, mostly in the later period in the 19th century, um, to the Antipodes, so in particular Australia. Interestingly enough, Africa and Europe are exactly the same number of linkages. However, what you see is that in Africa, South Africa by and large predominates, whether this is the Cape Colony or one other part of what eventually becomes South Africa. In Europe, it's much more evenly spread out. And as you see, the Netherlands and France are equally destination points, which is, again, is interesting, the, the links with the Netherlands because of Presbyterianism and its reformed sister, uh, the Dutch Reformed Church. But France, I think, for very historic reasons and the links between Scotland and France being very strong. And finally, South America. Now, this is somewhat misleading because as you can see, Many of these links are actually with Guyana, or what it was then really known as is Demerara. This again is sugar plantations and slavery. So what you see when you look at Marshall College through the prism of international students and international careers after graduation is that Marshall College, the which is effectively a city foundation, a city college, is really, really plugged into the imperial world of Britain in a way that King's isn't. King's, it would appear, is much more educating people for roles and lives within the UK. Marshall College is, is putting much more of an emphasis on students reaching out into the world beyond Aberdeen. Thank you very much. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.